Hey everyone, welcome to Yoga Land's Yoga Teacher Companion. I'm your host, Jason Crandall. I have a sequencing training online coming up November 1st. And one of the many things that we do in this training is we look at the different posture groups. Forward bends, twists, side bends, back bends, arm balances. And we discuss what are the best ways to prepare you and your students for these families of postures in order to have more range, more skill, more strength, more balance, okay? And so I'm really inspired to just break down for you how I think about sequencing for backbends. And it all starts to me, everybody, with two important concepts. The first is this. The first thing that I do is, and this is for backbends, forward bends, side bends, twists, everything, but we're gonna stick right now with backbends, is I divide the body into three parts. I divide the body into three parts. I divide the body into the question of what are the shoulders doing in this pose that I'm preparing them for? What is the spine and the core doing in this pose that I'm preparing them for? And what are the hips and legs doing in this pose that I'm preparing them for? It can be really easy to be overwhelmed when you see a yoga posture, especially if you're a newer yoga teacher. If you see a more complicated or demanding yoga posture, sometimes your eyes just get confused. You don't really even know necessarily how to approach it, how to break it down. But if you take a step back and you just say to yourself, well, what are the shoulders doing? What's the spine doing? And what are the hips doing in this pose? You're gonna start to understand, oh, this is what they're doing, so this is how I can prepare for them. The second concept is this, everybody. <clears throat> we wanna break down the body into those three parts, and then we wanna ask ourselves, what is lengthening and what is shortening in each one of these regions of the body, right? So what is stretching and what is shortening? What is engaging in a shorter concentric way? Everybody, when we do this, we start to make even really complicated backbends really simple to sequence for, okay? So I'm gonna give you now some examples and some of my favorite ways and some of my favorite postures to incorporate. So let's think first about what are the hips doing when you do a backbend, okay? What's lengthening and what's shortening? Okay, well here's what I can promise you, that every single backbend you ever do, your hips are moving into extension, or at least one hip is moving into extension. If you're not sure what that is, I'm gonna show it here in a minute, okay? And so what is lengthening in your hips every time you do a backbend? Your hip flexors and your quadriceps, guaranteed. Now, what is shortening? Your buttock and your hamstrings. In every single backbend you ever do, at least on one side, the dominant side, your hips are gonna move into extension, which means you need to stretch out and lengthen your quads and your hip flexors, and you need to shorten or strengthen your hamstrings and buttock muscles. So here are a couple of my favorite lengtheners, ways to open up the quads and the hip flexors, and ways to strengthen the hamstrings and the buttock for every backbend sequence you ever teach. Fortunately, as a yoga teacher, 
We have no shortage of postures that lengthen quads and hip flexors, okay? So to move the hip into extension, we need two things. We need length on the front side of the hip and we need strength on the back side of the hip. And the reality is the vast majority of us have a little extra stiffness on the front side of the hip and weakness on the back side of the hip. So we can address this with several postures and some of my favorite everybody are the following. So the first one is so simple and I like to do this right off the bat. I'm usually gonna do this in the first couple of minutes of the sequence because it's a little bit more passive and if you're teaching or practicing a dynamic sequence, you probably wanna do the more passive things like way towards the end of the sequence or way towards the beginning of the sequence. You don't really wanna like in the middle of dynamic movement like get someone to lay over a block, okay? So watch what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lay on my back, I'm gonna lift my hips, I'm gonna take a block on its lowest height underneath the back of the pelvis, the sacrum. Then I'm gonna straighten one leg. So that leg that I straighten on the ground, that's moving into extension, meaning the angle of the thigh relative to the hip socket is moving backwards, okay? It's moving back. Um, imagine everybody when you are walking, the leg that is stepping backwards, right? You have a leg that's stepping forward, you have a leg that's kind of pushing backwards. That leg that's pushing backwards, that's moving into hip extension. So I just start here, it's really simple, okay? So it's a nice little passive anterior hip opener. It's not gonna get down into the bulk of the quadricep group. It might get to the very top of the quads, the rectus femoris, but it's not gonna do much for the vasti group. We'll get to that later. So even just keeping my legs straight and pressing the back of the heel to the floor is giving me some stretch on the front of the hip. But then to make it much more interesting, we can take the other knee in, right? So I take hold of my left leg is straight, my heel's on the ground. I'm holding my right knee and I'm gently drawing it towards me, okay? So I'm drawing my right hip into flexion. That's creating more length on the front of the left hip, okay? I have to keep that bottom leg really strong. I also like to put my hand on my thigh and gently kind of coax the skin of my thigh towards my knee while taking my fingertips to my hip points and kind of coaxing it up towards the front of the, uh, towards the chest. We can also do this on a higher height. Um, but if when we do this on a higher height, if the student isn't able to um, straighten their bottom leg, it's not worth it, right? We want that bottom leg straight and reaching, okay? So really simple, you do both sides, maybe 60 to 90 seconds early on in a sequence. And then the following thing, low lunge quad stretch is really common, but I'm gonna show you two options in it, plus a little de a detail that's I think really valuable uh, for sequencing for back bends. Um, and I would do this anywhere within the sequence, but I would do this most likely once we start dynamic movement. So once we're in sun salutations or salutation variations, or right prior to the back bend. So a couple of things on this everybody. When we're getting into this low lunge quad stretch, you have two options when you're holding the foot or two ways of holding the foot. So option one, which is the most common, is to hold with a thumb up grip. So my arm is externally rotated. So my right leg is forward, my left leg is back. So it's the left side that I'm stretching. My right hand is reaching back to hold that foot. 
and I have the palm rotated up. This is really conventional, it works well. I'm gently turning my chest towards my front thigh, okay? Now, when I do this, everybody, depending on range of motion, right, we can keep the bottom arm straight or we can bring that bottom elbow to the floor, which is the, going to decrease the angle at the knee, which is going to increase the stretch in the quadriceps, okay? But a detail on this, detail number one, is a lot of times people will just, with their arm, pull their heel towards the buttock. That's fine, that gives a nice quad stretch. But what I prefer to do is pretty firmly press the foot into the hand. And the reason that I like to do this, everybody, is because now my quads are active while they're stretching. And that's a really good preparation for backbends because in most backbends, your quads are gonna be active. The other detail is you can also change the grip and change the rotation of the torso. So I'm holding the pinky toe side of the foot, my arms externally rotated, my thumbs facing up, and I'm allowing a little bit of a chest rotation towards the front thigh. But it gets more intense in the quad if I actually hold the inside of the foot with a thumb down grip, so the arm more internally or even kind of neutrally rotated, and then I take that twist out. So I turn my chest towards the floor Okay, now when I do this, it's, it's more immediate. It's the pose, the angle of the pose changes. It's more forward facing. And so it's a little bit deeper into that quad itself, okay? It's very rare that I teach a back bend focused sequence without including these two poses because they're so efficient for front of hip and quad length. Final thing, everyone, is reformed anjane asana, okay? I've taught this in a lot of other contexts, but you have an old school anjane asana, which is still okay, it's still viable, um, where we kind of have this longer stride and those hips are more forward and down. Now, this is gonna be more of a passive stretch for the anterior part of that hip, especially the anterior part of the socket structure, the capsule, and those capsular ligaments. That's not really what I want to do. Um, instead, I actually want that stretch to be not just up here in the front of the socket structure. I want it to be in the front of the hip, but all the way down the front of the thigh. So what I do instead of those hips being forward and down, I shift back, okay? I shorten the stride. So almost like if you do any kind of weight training or resistance training, it's more of a split squat position. Top of back foot can be on the floor or toes, it doesn't really matter, but we get upright. So our torso is over our pelvis, our pelvis is over our back thigh. And then when we do this, everybody, it's really key two things. One, we want a little posterior pelvic tilt, okay? And when we get that posterior pelvic tilt, so I'm lengthening my buttock a little down and my hip points up, that's gonna be what lengthens the, those hip flexors. But then while I do this, everybody, I wanna press that back foot strongly and consistently in the mat, okay? I wanna really root down through that back foot so that the quads are working in their stretch. Now, I can stay like this if this is enough or I, or I can sneak that front foot a little further forward again, then lower the hips forward and down, but with that downward activation of the back foot and shin into the mat, and that posterior tilt, and a little bit of anterior core engagement. Everybody, these three things 
are gonna be one of many options you have, but these are high efficiency postures and they're really easy to insert within any kind of dynamic practice. Now I wanna think about strengthening the back of the hip because a back bend isn't just about the length of the front side, it's also about the strength and the tonal quality of the backside, okay? So there's a lot of things we can do to strengthen hamstrings and butt, but this first thing that I'm gonna do is pretty counterintuitive, okay? The reason that it's counterintuitive is because we've normalized this idea that in every backbend ever, you internally rotate the thighs, which isn't technically correct or necessary, especially in really low intensity or low range of motion backbends. So what I'm gonna do right here is I'm actually gonna do locust and I'm gonna bring the inside of my feet together. So I'm gonna externally rotate the legs, bring the inner legs and the inside of the feet together. And when I do that, that's gonna make the hamstrings work quite a bit, but it's also gonna strengthen gluteus maximus and the muscles that live underneath gluteus maximus, which are really important hip extensors. When you internally rotate the thighs, you're probably not gonna engage all of those hip extensors as efficiently, okay? So for this, we just do our normal locust. We raise those legs. Okay, and then I bring the inside of the feet together. It's kind of hard to see here, but I'm just, I'll change my angle a little bit. So here I'm just bringing the inside of the feet together. I'm not bringing the bottom of the feet together. A lot of people will make that mistake. You just bring the inside of the feet together and giving a squeeze, right? And so when you do that, and you can do this as a standalone backbend, right? You can do face down backbends and you can do this, or you can do this within the flow, within the Surya Namaskar. Typically, that's how I'll do it, is I'll, I'll, I'll put that in uh, within the flow of the class. The other thing that you can do, and you're not gonna make any friends with this, because this is all of the hard part of the pose without any of the actual nice, enjoyable part of the pose, but bow pose unclasped. So when we do bow pose, we reach back and we bend the knees and we hold the feet or the ankles, right? And that gives us the assistance of the upper body to build that back bend. But when you do unclasped, you just work hamstrings, butt, spinal muscles, and shoulders. It's a lot of work. It's not much range. You students aren't gonna love it, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, but it's, it's super effective. So we can do this from pretty much any situation. We can do it while we're just doing a, a progression of face down backbends, or we can come through our flow all the way down, and then we kind of reach back like we're gonna do bow and hold. I actually can't go further. My mic cord is stuck. Okay. I'm gonna bend my knees, I'm gonna reach back like I'm gonna hold my feet, but I'm not gonna hold my feet. And I'm still trying to lift the thighs and I'm gauging hamstrings and butt, right? So all this, so it's all the work of bow without that like nice length and space of bow. But it gets that back body to really start to tone up. And just long gone are the days of thinking that the back body is passive in back bends. So we just looked at my favorite options for lengthening quads, lengthening hip flexors, and strengthening or engaging hamstrings and glutes in preparations for back bends. So now we wanna look at the second third of the body. What is the spine and core doing in your back bends? Well, 
Everybody, this is about as simple as it gets to be completely honest with you. So just technically, your spine, all three parts in the vast majority of backbends are moving into extension. There are some backbends where your cervical spine is actually moving into flexion, like bridge pose, right? Your lower back and your mid back or your lumbar spine and your thoracic spine are moving into extension. Your chin is a little tucked so it's neutral or it's a little bit into flexion. But I think we can really safely say, okay, when we do a backbend, big, middle, or huge backbend, whatever it is, we're moving our spine and our core into extension, which means we're lengthening the front side of our torso and we're strengthening and engaging the back side of our torso. These are some of my favorite things to include to open the front of the trunk and strengthen the back of the trunk in pretty much every backbend sequence I teach. Let's look at them. We are not obliged to only teaching either one cobra or one locust or one sphinx or one upward facing dog, we can double down or triple down on our back bends within the sun salutations, right? So what I mean by that, let's just say I've stepped back or I've jumped back and I'm in plank, right? Then usually what do we do in that sun salutation? We do chaturanga and up dog, right? Or we come to the floor and we do locust or we do cobra or some such, right? Look, that's completely fine, but that's only a way. And if I want to progressively prepare my spine for a deeper phase of backbends that I'm gonna do further along in the sequence, why not start to increase volume within the salutations, right? So watch what I'll do. I do this very regularly in my classes, right? So let's say we're mid-sun salutation, okay? This is usually where I would put this option, right? So we're mid-sun salutation. And let's say we did chaturanga, we did up dog, and now we're back in down dog. Well, instead of just staying in down dog for five breaths every time you do down dog, come forward to plank again. Come to the floor, inhale, do locust. Exhale, set up cobra. Inhale, do cobra. Exhale, do downward facing dog. Or incorporating what we just did when we were thinking about strengthening the hips, right? So again, let's say I've stepped or hopped back. It could be any style sun salutation. It really doesn't matter, everyone. And let's say like we don't wanna tweak it too hard, right? We still wanna do like our chaturanga and our up dog and our down dog, all good. But again, don't think like, oh, well, I'm doing that down dog, so now I just have to stay here until I do something else, right? Add a backbend, right? Especially if it's a backbend focused practice, right? Increase volume. So, right, so I've chaturanga, up dog, I've transitioned to down dog, and then right through it again, I come inhale plank, exhale to the floor, unclasp bow. Stay here, inhale, unclasped bow. Exhale, transition to cobra. Inhale, cobra. Exhale, back into downward facing dog, right? One of the things to really understand everybody about <clears throat> tissue adaptation and postural or skill progression is it's almost always hinges 
on volume over time. So if I wanna increase my comfort and my skill and my range in a backbend sequence, I don't wanna just stuff backbends to one part of the sequence. I wanna to start to do them a little bit more consistently throughout. The next thing that I can really offer you everybody in terms of preparing spine for backbends is a progression of backbends from face down to kneeling to reclined, okay? There are other ways to do this, but, but really we have those three primary categories of backbends. Backbends in which you are face down, like locust, cobra, up dog, bow. We have backbends in which we are kneeling, right? Right, so we have the Ustrasana family, right? More advanced, you have Kapotasana and Lagovadrasana. But we also have in this, in this um, kind of like kneeling family, we have, our, um, we have our various kind of reach up and back, like our pigeon pose two, right? or different variations of pigeon pose one. This is kind of kneeling. This is not the same, everybody. These aren't the same as camel, but they're pretty similar to camel. And then we have our reclined backbends, right? We have our bridge, our bridge variations, our upward bow, all of those, right? So what I'm getting at is you wanna focus on a progression of backbends in your sequence that focuses on lower range of motion backbends that use more spinal strength to higher range of motion backbends that also include the leverage of the arms and legs. So the most sensible way to do this is when you are sequencing your backbends, do the face down backbends first. Then do the camel pose or the pigeon pose, the lunging or the kneeling backbends second, and then the reclined backbends third. This is not gospel. This is not an absolute mandate. There are exceptions to this, but this is a really, this is a really important fundamental understanding of sequencing and backbends. The final thing that's gonna really help prepare your spine for backbends are twists. Twists do a very good job of helping to mobilize the spine. So any twist, and so oftentimes what I'm doing everybody, the way I'll do this in a backbend sequence is a lot of times in a backbend sequence in the flow, I'm gonna do a lot of lunging twists and standing twists, right? So I'm gonna be including revolved side angle pose. I'm gonna be including revolved triangle pose. I'm gonna be including revolved half moon pose. I'm probably going to be doing different variations of twisted downward facing dog, okay? So if you know that you're gonna move your spine into a more backbend focused practice, preempt it in the flow with standing and lunging twists, okay? Now, in terms of strengthening your spinal muscles for backbends, well, one, I'm not gonna go over it again, prone backbends. 
everything that you do to strengthen the back of your hips, so your hamstrings and your butt for backbends, is probably also gonna be strengthening the paraspinal muscles, okay? So locust pose, that unclasped bow pose, incorporating more of the face down backbends is gonna be so valuable for you. But there's one other thing, everybody, which is, for me, such a blown opportunity for so many students because we're already doing this stuff, okay? Which is, <clears throat> when you are doing any kind of Surya Namaskar, any kind of Surya Namaskar, the halfway lift part, don't throw it away. Don't miss the opportunity. Do not phone it in, okay? So when you do that halfway lift, everybody, right? You wanna lift high enough, right? And I usually have people take the hands to the shins. You wanna lift high enough that you can move your whole spine into extension. If I keep my fingers down and I just kind of look forward, I look forward, but I'm not taking my spine into extension. Look, I'm doing this and this isn't a disaster. I'm halfway up, I have my fingertips on the floor, okay? This is fine, there's nothing wrong with this. The only thing that's wrong with this is my back, my, the muscles of my back body are not working. They're not doing anything right now, okay? So it's a blown opportunity to strengthen the backside of our core. So I'm always having people come up into here, especially in a backbend sequence, and I'll say it to them. I'll say, hey, we're gonna focus more on backbends. One component of this is lengthening the front of the spine, but we also need to strengthen the back of the spine, everybody. So listen, every time we do half sun, every time we do sun salutations, I want you to make sure that you inhale and lift the shoulders at least to the height of the hips, everybody. Because then if we get this height, then we're taking advantage of increasing the volume of strengthening that back body within the flow, okay? These are some really good things for spine and core. Now let's look at the final third of the body that we're gonna focus on in our preparation. When we're sequencing and preparing, we now have to consider the shoulders, right? It's the final third that we have to consider. And I'll be honest with you, this one's a little bit more complicated because there's really two primary back bending actions for the shoulders, okay? For the most part, you are, have a category of back bends in which the arms are moving up and overhead, so into full flexion, okay? So some examples of this are Urdhva Dhanurasana, right? Wheel or upward bow. Um, Viprita Dandasana, inverted staff pose. But also the pigeon pose and the dancer or Natarajasana family of poses where you're taking the arms up and back, okay? To prepare the shoulders for going up and back, we actually need a little bit different um, set of preparations, we need different poses than the other category. The other category of backbends are backbends in which your shoulders are going down and back. So these are more the bow pose family, the camel pose family, the bridge family, right? There's many more, but those are the dominant ones. So when I'm looking at the body and dividing it in thirds, thinking what are the hips doing, what are the spine doing, what are the shoulders doing? Man, preparing the hips and preparing the spine 
for backbends is really straightforward. When it comes to actually preparing the shoulders, I have to think to myself, well, what backbends am I really focused on sequencing for? Is it a general backbend class? Well, then I'll just do a little bit of, you know, what I'm gonna show you here in a moment. Or is it a backbend class where I'm really focused on full flexion, arm overhead backbends? Or is it a backbend class where I'm really taking those arms down and back? Because if my sequence is gonna specialize a little bit more into one or the other of those categories, then I wanna think about these things a little bit differently, okay? So first, let's look at some of my favorite preparations for the shoulders for arm overhead backbends. We'll look at what to strengthen, we'll look at what to lengthen, and then also we will start to look at in our arms down and back poses, right? In those arms down and back poses, what do we wanna focus on there? What are the preparations where we can really focus on lengthening the front of the shoulder and engaging the back of the shoulder? So let's look at a couple of my favorite options here. There are some very rare exceptions, but pretty much every backbend you do, your arms are gonna be going up and overhead into like deep full flexion, or your arms are gonna go down and back into deep extension, okay? Now, the way that you wanna prepare the body for those two families of backbends is a little different. Or the way you wanna prepare the hips, the legs, the spine, the core is the same. But the way you prepare the shoulders is a little different because the mechanical demands for full flexion, they're a little more complicated than the mechanical demands for extension. And I'm not talking about what you personally prefer or what's easier for you. I'm talking about the objective mechanical demands of the shoulder making those motions. So let's look at the simpler one, which is the arms down and back. So camel pose, bridge pose, ustrasana. The first thing everybody that I think we always need to refine is <clears throat> this really common anterior shoulder opener. Now, I'm not gonna go over right now, just for a time, why I don't like the arm straight. All I'm gonna say is, the arm, if it's straight, um, is harder to control, and it's harder to target the anterior shoulder muscles correctly in my personal experience with my body and a lot of students. So the way that I like to do this anterior shoulder opener, everybody, is I, I always start in Sphinx. And then I wanna keep the 90 degree angle, right? And you can put this in a lot of different places within a sequence, but I will put this within a flow, even if I'm doing um, like some sun salutations where we're going into Sphinx, or you could do this right before your back bends. So look, we're on the forearms. I keep this 90 degree elbow bend, and I just take this elbow out to the side, okay? I just take it straight out to the side and I bring the front of my left shoulder towards the floor. I'm not forcing it down, okay? I just, I'm here, and then I just go straight out to the side like this, okay? I keep the 90 degree bend instead of a straight arm. Now, the other thing that I think is pretty important, everybody, is that the elbow is a little higher than the shoulder. If you take the elbow out to the side and down, you're gonna, it says you're gonna lose it. So look when you do it. Take that elbow just a little bit above the shoulder line. And then that hand, the side of the hand that is connected to the shoulder you're stretching. So 
I'm gonna stretch my left shoulder so my left hand, I want that active. I want it pressing into the floor. I do not want passive stress on the front of my left shoulder, okay? Then from here, we're just gonna roll to that side, right? And then you can stay as is, or top knee can bend and come over, or you can reach back and catch that foot if you have the range, right? It doesn't have to be tricky. This is a really hugely efficient anterior shoulder opener. And again, that's gonna help the arm move down and back behind us for this down and back family of postures. The next thing is improved fingers interlaced. What I mean by this, everybody, is there's a lot of postures in which you or your students are gonna be interlacing the fingers and reaching the arms back. Everything from doing it like as a standalone pose to doing it in high lunge, doing it in low lunge, right? We do this kind of thing in warrior one. We do it as we set up for uh, and then continue into humble warrior, right? There are these kind of countless opportunities to interlace the fingers behind your back and reach the arms. But I can almost promise you that 99% of the time, 99% of students and teachers don't take advantage of one action that is probably the most consequential action. So what we usually focus on everybody, but we will not anymore. We usually focus on reaching the arms back. We usually focus on just this extension. That's fine. But this is really basic, okay? And you're already doing the pose, so you might as well get the most important part of the pose. So to do this, and you can feel this in your body so quick and easily, even if you're just watching this and kind of like, you're on a walk, or you're sitting down and watching and learning, just do this real quick, okay? You just interlace the fingers behind you, you reach the arms behind you. I don't care if the heel of the hand is separated or the heel of the hand is together, okay? That's just a function of your range of motion, okay? So whatever you do, right? Do everything else you usually do, so you take those arms back, but then you keep the interlace and you create the action of trying to pull the arms apart from each other, okay? Do that, everybody. So the arms are going back, but don't just keep pushing them back. Keep the interlace and create the action of trying to pull the arms apart, okay? Then go ahead and let that go. You can do this in everything. You can do this in locust pose. You can do this in high lunge, low lunge, warrior one, warrior two, okay? You can do this as just a hanging out, getting ready for class, prep, interlace those fingers, reach the arms back. But that feeling, everybody, of keeping the interlace while creating that action of pulling the arms apart is going to engage your lateral deltoids in a stretched position. And man, now all of a sudden this pose goes from like this very black and white, it's fine, it's better than nothing, to whoa, this whole thing is completely alive. Now, the final thing, everybody, that is really nice way to prepare is, and I showed this earlier, but we have a lot of opportunities, which is to hand to foot clasp. So whether I'm in a low lunge quad stretch, right? Or whether I'm in Natrajasana, right? Reaching that leg back. Or whether I'm in something like half moon pose and I reach back, I catch the foot, Ardha Chandra Chapasana. Catching the back foot 
with the palm face up, right? Could even be something like, I'm doing it in my pigeon poses. There's tons of times where we can reach the arms down and back to catch that back foot, okay? And in all of these opportunities, look, I'm taking that arm into the desired position of the back bend that is to come, okay? So you're anticipating, oh, you're gonna do more extension-based back bends. So now you wanna lengthen the anterior shoulders. And those are really perfect options. Now, strength in these postures is not a concern of mine. It's the only one that is just not a concern. There is not a back bend where you reach your arms down and back where you have to be strong in the back of the shoulders. Be strong in the back of the shoulders, don't get me wrong, that's a good thing. But in terms of sequencing, you don't really need to prepare back body strength, okay? Back of the shoulder strength for shoulder extension poses. It's, you really have to focus much more on anterior length. That's not the case with arm overhead back bends. So now let's just talk about really good options for arm overhead back bends. Okay, the first thing that brings, that comes up for me is um, better hands in prayer pose. So a lot of times what we'll do everybody, and I've, I've done whole segments on this, a lot of times um, we will do a pose in which the elbows are on the ground, the hands are in prayer, and we're in this position, right? It's a really good shoulder opener that's gonna prepare you and your students for arm overhead back bends. This is great, right? You can do it elbows on the floor, you can do it elbows on a bolster, you can do it elbows on a block, foam roller, all those things work. But there's a way to make this categorically better for everybody, and it's another detail that gets overlooked just because people don't know it, okay? So what we can do here, we bring these elbows to the floor or whatever they're going on. And then look everybody, instead of keeping my hands together in prayer, I press my fingertips strongly together and I pull the soles of the hands away from each other. So it's like I have, a, uh, it's like I have an orange in between my hands or a softball, okay? So instead of hands in prayer, I pull the forearms away from each other by pressing the fingertips together. This is going to help engage the external rotators of the shoulder, and it's also going to um, abduct the upper arm. So you can give you a little bit better shoulder opener. Now the next thing that we can do, everybody, this always gets overlooked. One of the most restricted elements of your shoulders in arm overhead backbends are your lats. And what are the most effective postures to open your lats in? Side bends, okay? So it could be anything. Side bends are amazing preparations for your shoulders in arm overhead backbends because they stretch the lats. And if you have tight lats and those lats are getting pulled down when you're trying to reach the arms overhead, you're gonna really struggle in these poses. So you could do it at any phase. You could, earlier in your sequence, you can, you can like incorporate parigasana, right? 
or you can incorporate just in your standing flows like nice simple little side bends. There's really countless ways. The point that I want you to get is one of, if not the best way to prepare your shoulders for arm overhead back bends is lengthening your lats. And the way that you're gonna do that in yoga is through side bends, okay? And then that final thing, everybody, this is really counterintuitive. I'm not gonna go into all the technical anatomy for this, but in order for your arms to go overhead, your shoulder blades have to laterally rotate or upwardly rotate. And if your rhomboids, the muscles that live between the shoulder blades, and your middle fibers of lats also living between the middle shoulder blades, if those things are tight, it's really hard for the shoulder blades to make the motion they need to make. So oftentimes in back bends, people do what I've already showed you. They spend a ton of time opening the front, but man, if you are gonna do arm overhead back bends, everybody in your sequence, please broaden your shoulder blades by doing things like Garudasana first, okay? When I do Garudasana first, by taking the arms in front, right? By having my arms adduct, right? By taking my arms in front towards each other, I'm broadening the shoulder blades. Okay, so Garudasana poses. Even everybody, this is so counterintuitive, man, but if you get this, you're gonna know so much more about sequencing than you did 30 seconds ago, okay? Unless you already knew this, right? <clears throat> Cat pose, totally counterintuitive. Cat pose is an amazing shoulder preparation for arm overhead back bends, why? because it mobilizes the scapula. It helps those scapula protract. And for the arms to go overhead, the scapula has to protract. Protraction is part of lateral rotation. So if we're just preparing the front of the shoulders and chest for arms down and back poses, great. But if we're just preparing the front of the shoulders and chest for length, for arm overhead poses, we're totally missing the boat. We need those side bends and we need those medial scapula openers. Now finally everybody, one great strengthener for the shoulders in arm overhead back bends, okay? Down dog works, handstand works, forearm balance works. Anytime you're up on the arms, it's they're good poses. But two versions of dolphin. So <clears throat> what I like to think of as long dolphin, okay? So in long dolphin, it's just like down dog. It's just that the forearms are down. My shoulders are behind my elbows. I'm pressing the forearms down. I'm relaxing the head and neck, okay? This gives really good, efficient leverage to open my shoulders for arm overhead back bends. And then what I think of as short or stacked dolphin where I'm coming in and the shoulders are stacking above my elbows and then I'm walking the feet in, I'm pressing the floor away so I have a much shorter stride. It's almost much more like a headstand or like a dolphin setup, everybody. And that is both of those hugely effective shoulder strengthening for arm overhead back bends. <clears> Thank <throat>
It's important when we teach, especially when we sequence, that we have a certain amount of creativity and a certain amount of improvisation based on what we see and what our preferences are and what our style is as a teacher. But everybody, it's also really important that we're strategic, that we understand, hey, I'm gonna focus a little bit more on backbends or whatever group of postures that you're gonna focus on. And then just start to think to yourself, okay, what do I need to do to help my students prepare for that within the sequence? And take that extra step of dividing the body in thirds. What do I need to do to help them get their hips ready? What do I need to do to help them get their spine and core ready? What do I need to do to get their shoulders ready? What do I wanna lengthen? What do I wanna strengthen? Everybody, if you get really good and sophisticated at this, it's gonna be night and day in your capacity to really help your students grow their repertoire of postures, okay? And actually, same thing for you, to help you grow your repertoire of postures. So take this training, this class in and of itself, enjoy it, learn, on, learn from it, grow from it. But if you wanna learn more about sequencing and this little short bit has been helpful for you, I genuinely think that you will learn a lot and you will really, really grow in this online sequencing training that I have to offer, okay? All that information is at jasonyoga.com. Otherwise, just continue to tune into this channel and enjoy it, practice, and share with, uh, with your students. All right, everybody, have a good day. Thanks for spending your time.